Zanzizi Zanbibi. Welcome to the Zanzizi Podcast. What I was going through around the writing of Downward Spiral was not knowing who I was anymore. I'd seen myself as the kid in the bedroom listening to records, and I wasn't sure who the guy on stage was. That was getting distorted and becoming accentuated in caricature of self, I think. Add that to someone ill-equipped to deal with attention or fame. I've always had a sadness and a sense of abandonment, I think, haunting me and never feeling like I fit in anywhere and always feeling like an outsider. It's not rational, it just happens often. Maybe I'm the guy that needs a couple beers. Or whatever it might be to understand who I am. And, oh, now I feel better. You know, now I feel more confident in this new outfit I've got on. Welcome to the Zanzizi podcast with Rad Dead 2023. I'm here with one of my oldest and bestest and coolest buds ever. We just got the best warm up I think I've ever done for a podcast because I didn't record shit, Seth Lee. Hey, all right. <laughs> Hey, do you know anything about Trent Reznor? <laughs> I could tell you a lot now. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, shit. All right. So we met a long time ago, eighth grade. We were in a play together. That's right. Seth and I are both thespians. We are. Mm-hmm. 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 You're 39 still, though, right? Yeah, I'll be 40 in September. 9-9. Nine, nine. That's German for no, no. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I was like something clever, but it's true. I, I you know, I, the truth will set you free. It does. Boy, it's good to have you here, man. You're a local comedian. You do stand up. You've been fucking ripping it up lately. When is? Do you have another a date coming up soon? Oh, I'll just be in Grand Rapids telling jokes till the day I die. So if you go to a show in Grand Rapids, you'll see me. Awesome. I'll be there. Well, if you let me know the next time, I will post it on the social medias. But we're here to talk about Trent. Yeah, Trent Reznor, who's a man. Basically, our second dad. <laughs> our second dad. He died on Nine Inch Nails, sir, and rose again. So that we could talk about how great he is. So, listen, what was your first exposure? When did you get into Nine Inch Nails? What's your What's your thing? I was uh, a young man, probably 13 years old, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm not sure exactly when the uh, Downward Spiral came out. Uh, but that was the first exposure that I had. Um, I just remember there was this cool song on the radio that said the fuck word oh yeah um, yeah oh yeah yeah uh and i just thought that that was about the neatest thing and i needed more uh of that so did you immediately get the album or did you 
My dad had it for some reason. I think that he heard that same song and liked the one song and probably listened to it about three times. And then it may have ended up in my possession. Okay. So you so you got it from your dad. That's awesome yeah. actually. Yeah. Kind of like almost like cuz I had a I had a bit of this a similar thing where I I got into my dad's records and that's kind of how I got into like like super big into um uh Genesis. Oh god. Obviously. I'm revealing, yeah. <laughs> I'm showing my American Psycho card here. Um but no, I was a huge fan of of Nine Inch Nails, and it really came about similarly with Downward Spiral. Like I fucking love, love that album. Um, and in the second segment, we're gonna do our t- top ten best yep, men songs. I, I got it. Awesome albums, all that. But first, we're gonna get into Reznor himself. Now, the man. Frontman and, and genius behind Nine Inch Nails, band we both adore. Reznor chose the name Nine Inch Nails because it abbreviated easily rather than for any literal meaning. Which there's an interview of him talking about this, and he's like, Look, I wrote it down. It looked cool one day. Woke up the next day. It still looked cool. That's how you figure out if you like a band name. Same with jokes. Yes. Yeah. It's got to make it like 24 hours. Yeah. It'd still be funny. Do you ever get to the point where you write a joke and you're like, I've got to make this funny? But it's super uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot. That's good. I'm I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Well, I mean, you have to love something to really work at it. Yep. So. No, he picked it right. I think he picked it right. It's a great name. Mm-hmm. I love it because the, the again, N-I-N, the way that it is, yeah, it's super cool, and it looks great on yep. a sticker logo. I mean, that was the first nine inch nail shirt i had was just the nin on the front i I don't know um there was a time in my life where i think 90 percent of the shirts that i owned were different nine inch nails shirts yeah 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 for my brother it was slipknot yep just said don't ever judge me (laughs) (laughs) what a terrible song (laughs) it's just like fuck you fuck everything don't judge me (laughs) It's like the Prince Harry and Meghan Markle yeah. thing. We just want privacy, <laughs> all right? It. We're going to set off fireworks. Our privacy tour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking love, Trey. South Park's future episode. Um, anyway, so Reznor chose the name, like I said, because it abbreviated easily. Dude's from Pennsylvania, 57 currently, five kids. Five kids. He took his Filipino wife and he said, wow, we're going to make it count. Yeah. Jeez. Is there a Gub Resner in there? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, so her name's Marquine Mandig. She's also a singer and plays keyboards in How to Destroy Angels, their project. So. Yoko Ono. Exactly. Fucking. Don't you bring Nine Inch Nails down. <laughs> anyway, so how did this uh, Pennsylvania native get involved in music? Well,. Reznor was born in Newcastle, Pennsylvania on May 17th, 1965, so he's a Gemini. Interesting. I only know that. I only know <laughs> signs because I was recently dating. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got your rocks outside to recharge in the moonlight. Listen, I'm a Leo. I'm a born leader. I'm the podcast host here. Anyway, so... <laughs> 
He's the son of Nancy Liu and Michael Reznor. He grew up in Mercer, Pennsylvania, and is of German and Irish descent. Um, his great-grandfather, George Reznor, founded the heating and air conditioning man- manufacturer Reznor Company, which um, it was formed in 1884. Wow. Post-Civil War, pre-World War I. Industrial Revolutionary Times. After his parents divorced when he was six years old, Reznor's sister Tara lived with their mother while he went to live with his maternal grandparents. He began playing the piano at the age of 12 and showed an early aptitude for music. His grandfather, Bill Clark, told People in February 1995, Trent was a good kid, a boy scout who loved to skateboard, build model planes, and play the piano. Music was his life. From the time he was a wee boy, he was so gifted. Reznor has acknowledged that his shelter life left him to feeling isolated from the outside world. In September 94 interview with Rolling Stone, he said of his career choices, quote, I don't know why I want to do these things other than my desire to escape from small town USA, to dismiss the boundaries to explore. It isn't a bad place where I grew up, but there was nothing going on but cornfields. My life experience, uh, and for us, there was nothing going, going on but ranch dressing. So I in church. It. In church. Most churches per square foot in Jenison world record. It's insane. There's a church in my church parking lot. Also. <laughs> <laughs> we're the first we're the first city to get its own fucking church taco truck. <laughs> oh fuck. Anyway, so he wanted to escape small time, but he later recanted and said, I didn't have a miserable childhood. I mean, his grandfather gave, grandfather gave, ended up giving him, like, a really nice keyboard. and It just, like, you you embrace the hobbies, you know what I mean? Like, we were we both skated. I had a toy machine skateboard I did. I had a graphics one. They made bongs. <laughs> I remember one of the first times I saw those, um, one of the, the 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 not weed but smoke shops, and I was like, "That's where new metal kids went to fucking <laughs> run a small business." <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah, it's right there. Uh, Risner would later recall the first concert I ever went to was the Eagles in 1976. Lucky. Mm-hmm. The excitement of the night struck a chord with him, and he remembers thinking, someday I'd love to be up on that stage. At Mercer Area Junior slash Senior High School, he learned to play the tenor saxophone and tuba and was a member of both the jazz band and marching band. Dork. Yep. The school's former band director remembered him as a very upbeat and friendly. He became involved in theater while in high school, being awarded the Best in Drama accolade by his classmates for his role as Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar and Professor Harold Hill in The Music Man. So he's a, he was a thespian as well. Um, but let's get into Nine Inch Nails. So while he was in Cleveland, is he was working at a music studio, and basically, inevitably... He was able to use the time when people weren't booked to make demos. While um, assembling the what would later was early on was basically called the right track demos, but basically Nine Inch Nails, Reznor was unable to find a band that could articulate the songs, and that's a lot of his experience. Like he was playing in all these bands previous to when he 
basically said, fuck this, I don't want to do this. I mean, he was in a band called The Urge that was a cover band. He was a keyboardist in a band called The Innocent um, that only released one album called Living in the Street, but Reznor left after three months. He was in a local band called Exotic Birds, which appeared in a as a fictional band called The Problems in a 1987 film called Light of Day. He also contributed keyboards to a band called Slam Bamboo and briefly joined a new wave band called Lucky Pierre. So he he rec- he talks about those times as like really creatively shitty. Like he's just like I can't fucking I can't do my thing and be creatively fulfilled in these projects because there's probably too many alpha dudes who are like, no man, we're gonna be flock of seagulls too. Uh, yeah, no, I remember that uh, that he very much just wanted to do his own. I'll make my own music. Everybody in the band will do what I want them to do. Right. Yeah. Which, if you're going to do something creatively, you have to be fulfilled. And there's a reason bands end like breakups. It's a similar thing. You're putting, you have to put in the effort that everyone else is. You got to, you know. So I'm glad he did this because I love his music, you know. Um, several labels responded favorably to the demo material and Reznor signed with TVT Records. Nine selections from the right track demos were unofficially released years later in 1994 as Purest Feeling. And many of these songs appeared in revised form on Pretty Hate Machine. Reznor's first official release under the Nine Inch Nails name. Pretty Hate Machine was released in 90, 1989 and was a moderate commercial success certified gold in 1992. Uh, Reznor secretly began recording under various pseudonyms to avoid record company interference, resulting in an EP called Broken in 1992. Nine Inch Nails was included in the Lollapalooza tour in the summer of 1991 and won a Grammy in 1993 under Best Heavy Metal Performance for the song Wish. The true banger. Nine Inch Nails' second full-length album, The Downward Spiral, entered the Billboard 200 chart in 1994 at number two and remains the highest-selling Nine Inch Nails release in America. To record the album, Reznor rented and moved into the 10050 Cello Drive mansion where the Tate-LaBianca murders had been perpetrated by the Manson family. Dun, dun. <laughs> Which, I mean, I'm talking 11, 12 years removed, or 20, I'm sorry, 20, 20 years removed from said murders. It's, Fucked up. And what did he call the room? <laughs> he built a studio space in the house, which he na- renamed Le Pig. <laughs> which is why? After the word that was scrawled on the front door and Sharon Tate's blood by her murderers. That's, that's I hot. had no idea when I moved in. No idea. I am completely ignorant to you what you mean to tell me the manson family murders that's probably where those songs came from the march of the pigs and and pig i got it's probably that is so fucked up and now in retrospect and being like this is one of the greatest albums of all time (laughs) jesus yeah okay um Nine Inch Nails toured extensively over the next few years, including a performance at Woodstock 94 
Although Reznor admitted to the audience that he did not like to play large venues around this time, Reznor's studio perfectionism, struggles with addiction, and bouts of writer's block prolonged the production of a follow-up to Downward Spiral. 94 would have been the, the mud performance, which I think later on they found out had feces in it. Or at least there was the possibility of poo-poos. Oh. Which is like... I mean, if you're into that, more power to you. You like to... Not really. You know, Sylvester Stallone, Just don't be into that. (laughs) (laughs) Kink shaming is my kink. It is... I mean, there are certain directors who are like obvious foot fetishists. Yeah. You know, a guy named Tarantino... When you zoom in on Irma Thurman's feet for like 20 minutes, she's like, move your, move. Wiggle. <laughs> and it's just like, make it yeah. wiggle. Just keep it right there. Wiggle it. <laughs> oh, I'm wiggling too. <laughs> um, but um, he, I, I want to circle back to the house because he did say he looked at a lot of places and this just happened to be the one he liked the most. He explained he was fascinated by the house due to his interest in American folklore and has stated that he does not want to support serial killer bullshit. Bullshit. And then he rolled in it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so in 1999, the double album The Fragile was released and Ryan, Herrig, and Seth Lee were jumping for joy. Oh my God. Rapids. I remember uh, the first time that I heard the song The Day the Whole World Went Away was in your apartment. That's right, because I got the single. Yep. And we were playing Age of Empires (laughs) 2, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Exactly right. You type in, like, pepperoni pizza, and you get all the food. Um, (laughs) I got the code that puts the Ferrari car in it. I'm just going to roll over Genghis Khan. Robot man. (laughs) Um, But when... That uh, the when it drops, do you know, because it starts Quiet, out so dynamic. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It scared me. Yeah, because I just was so not prepared for that. Um, that but yeah, that was a big moment for us when that album came out. We were definitely waiting for that. I knew I at least liked that one song. Right. Um, yeah, we were so excited, and it being a two disc album, it's like I don't even know to this day if I've taken that whole album in enough to be able to like. I have some thoughts, and we'll get into it in the second half. But yeah, like that album was the most excited I've ever been for an album, and that show was for sure the most excited I've been for a live performance. Yeah, it was my first show. Yeah, that was my very first. I would say it was my. It wasn't my first show because my my first rock concert was Peter Paul and Mary. Ooh. Bangers. The magic dragon, twelve-minute flute solo. Your parents are like, I don't know if I want them listening to this. Kill your kids. <laughs> Wait, what did they say? Paul's looking a little red-eyed, mom. <laughs> anyway, so, so they, they. Let me see. Ninety-nine, Fragile's release. It was. Partially successful, but lost money for Reznor's label, so he funded the North American Fragility Tour out of his own pocket. A further six years followed before the next Nine Inch Nails album with Teeth was released. Reznor went into rehab during the time between the two records and was able to manage his drug addictions. With Teeth, Teeth reached number one on the Billboard 200, and with Teeth, uh, after With Teeth, Reznor released the concept album Year Zero in 2007, which has an alternate reality game themed after the album. 
which is uh, about how the current policies of the American government will affect the world in the year 2022. Too bad we all had COVID. Yeah. And Hillary won, and the world's been so much better now. <laughs> Benghazi in January 6th. We love it here. Yeah, definitely wasn't a lab leak. <laughs> oh, you got a snort out of me on that. Uh, so... We, uh, after Year Zero's release, Reznor broke from large record labels and released two albums, Ghosts 1 through 4 and The Slip, independently on his own label, The Null Corporation. In 2009, Nine Inch Nails went on hiatus following the Wave Goodbye Tour. In 2013, Nine Inch Nails released uh, Return to Large Record Label, signing with Columbia Records. In September, the album Hesitation Marks was released, and earlier in August, the Tension 2013 tour began. All right, so this kind of rounds it out here at the end. 2019, Reznor received a songwriting credit on the Little Nas X song, Old Town Road. Due to the song, heavily sampling the 2008 Nine Inch Nails instrumental track, 34 Ghost 4. It reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in April 2019 with Reznor and Ross, Ross's Atticus Ross, his partner in Nine Inch Nails, both receiving songwriting and production credit. The song would go on to become the chart's longest-running number one hit, staying at the top for a record 19 weeks. Reznor gave clearance for the use of the sample and expressed support for the song, but declined an invitation to appear in the music video. What a crazy thing, too, because they got hip-hop fans and country fans to right. love that song. Like yeah. that's, it's crazy that you could marry the two as well as that guy did. When I, and that's 2019, so yeah. I was hot and heavy in the dating scene. I remember so many Snapchat filter Tinder looking girls with favorite song, Old Town Road. <laughs> I'm gonna take my oh. ass to the oh. abortion clinic gonna. Because you're allowed to in Michigan. That's right. Anyway, so there's some collaborations. Ministry uh, side project in 1990 under the name 1000 Homo DJs. Reznor sang vocals on a cover of Black Sabbath's Supernaut. Due to legal issues with his label, Reznor's vocals had to be distorted to make his voice unrecognizable. Oh, wow. Yeah. The band also recorded additional versions with Al Jorgensen doing vocals. While there's still debate as to which version is Reznor and which is Jorgensen, it has been definitively stated that Reznor's vocals were used in the TVT Records Black Box set. He also performed with another of Jorgensen's side projects, Revolting Cox. In 1990, he said, quote, I saw a whole side of humanity that I didn't know existed. It was decadence on a new level but with a sense of humor. Did you know they toured with Guns N' Roses briefly? Nine Inch Nails? Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Axl Rose is a huge fan of Nine Inch Nails. Wow. And there was a show in Germany where they came out and they were like, fuck you guys. Like, they hated them because they're like, ooh, these these goth mother's boys. Give me... They got pelted with sausage. How fucking German is that? Guns N' Roses got no oh. Nine Inch Nails. Oh, they went to <laughs> Germany. Oh, They're the people inch. liked Guns N' Roses more yeah. than Nine Inch. Oh, we should have got oh, rid of that. I, oh, I want sweet child of mine. Oh, Not no. this gay shit. Slash Wunderslausch. 
it, it is what it is, man. I mean, you know, I see. I'm sure it's good sausage. I, I the best guarantee. Yeah. I mean, if it was Bavaria, I would hope for some chocolate too. Ooh. But. He gets he got hit in the head with a, a Zippo when he came to Grand Rapids. Really? Yeah, and he walked off stage. I didn't know that. Yeah, to uh, man, I can't think of the name of the place now. I think Van Andel Arena. No, the smaller venue. Oh, intersection. Even no, it's the Deltaplex. Deltaplex. He came to the Deltaplex. Somebody threw a lighter at him, and he walked <laughs> off stage. Like, hey, nine inch nails. <laughs> like two songs. Does that in. hurt? Uh, <laughs> Do you wish I didn't do that? <laughs> Get it? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Anyway, so Reznor sang the vocals on the 1991 Pig Face track Suck from their first album, Gub. <laughs> Even at the second time, it's still funny. It is. Just so you know, Seth's first kid's going to be named Gub. <laughs> Gubbly. And that's it. No, no, we. Just- oh, that's right. Which also featured production work from State Steve Albini, which my uh, my brother Nick just recorded at Steve Albini's studio. Reznor sang backing vocals on "Past the Mission" on Tori Amos' 1994 album "Under the Pink." He produced Marilyn Manson's first album, "Portrait of the American Family," and several tracks on Manson's "Smells Like Children" and "Andy Christ Superstar." Quote: "I went right into doing a Manson record." Reznor recalled. Of the latter, which was a way of staying on tour mentally. Every night was some ridiculous scenario. When the, when that finished, I was really in a low emotional place and disillusioned. And what what were your feelings on Manson? Uh, I mean, I I got caught up in the in the craze a, a little bit. I didn't like him uh, as much as as Nine Inch Nails, but I wasn't also allowed to listen to him. Now, um, yeah. fans of the sh- of my previous show, Conspiracy Therapy, you were on the Kurt Cobain episode. Yeah. So, but it was like, you were, there were kind of, when I think of you personally, I think of like four bands. Okay. Sublime. Okay. Rage. All right. Nin. Nin is in front. Yeah. Because I feel like that was the one we connected on, but also Nirvana. Yeah. Those were kind of your four. Okay, yeah. That I would say. I don't know. Maybe you would say yeah. differently. No, yeah. And I would say Radiohead Genesis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Mario Kart 64 soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Crying about girls. The soundtrack. The stuffed octopus. The soundtrack. <laughs> Lost Minds. Um... Shit. Okay, so he was in the video for David Bowie's I'm Afraid of Americans. Reznor played a stalker who shows up whenever Bowie goes, wherever Bowie goes. In 2016 Rolling Stone article after David Bowie's death, Reznor recalled how touring with Bowie in 95 to 96 inspired him to stay sober. Reznor produced a remix of the notorious B.I.G. song Victory, featuring Buster Rhymes in 1998, under the name Tapeworm. Reznor collaborated for nearly 10 years with Danny Lohner, Maynard James Keenan, and Atticus Ross, who would go on to be his partner in the uh, Nine Inch Nails. But the project was eventually terminated before any official material was released. The only uh, known release tapeworm material is a reworked version of a track called Vacant, retitled Passive, on a Perfect Circle's 2004 album Emotive. 
as well as a track called Potions on Pussifer's 2009 album CS4. Do you like Pussifer? Never got into him. It's pretty good. That album CS4 is really good. There's one in, from like, I want to say 2012. It's called like Conditions of My Parole. It's it's good. There's there's like the thing about Maynard, and again, we're not a music review podcast, but um, the thing about Maynard sometimes for me is he falls in because we did a new metal episode. I would consider Tool and Perfect Serial would be kind of new metal adjacent. There's that self seriousness that creeps in there. Yeah. Now, I know Tool supposedly like Maynard was friends with. Um, what this? What's his name? The comedian that uh, Bill Hicks. Yeah. Like they supposedly they were friends and he liked comedy, but like Tool always seemed just a little bit too like almost dream theater serious. Where it's like, do you guys ever laugh? Yeah. Yeah. You know I what I mean? Say that. But but like they their song their material was like about prison sex and That's anal true. fisting. And, and I say that, and I'm thinking now of the the is it Anima has the artwork of the the, the dude blowing, blowing himself, himself. but like, they were like also like really dark and like they didn't let on that it was like a joke they're just like these are these dark terrible <laughs> <laughs> things there's like uh your blood and come on my hands there's like the one where the guy's like you're gonna get cancer and die i fucking <laughs> promise that's fucking true. americans see you're setting me straight and i appreciate that 2006, Reznor played his first solo shows at Neil Young's annual Bridge School Benefit. Backed by a four-piece string section, he performed stripped-down versions of many Nine Inch Nails songs. I'd like to hear that. Uh, Reznor was featured on LP's 2007 album, I'll Sleep When You're Dead, providing guest vocals on Flyantology. Reznor co-produced Saul Williams' 2007 album, The Inevitable Rise and Liberation of N-Word, Tardust. After Williams toured with Nine Inch Nails in 2005 and 2006... (laughs) It was hold on. It was tard, nicotine. Tard dust. Is that <laughs> tard. What it, is that how it's spelled? Tard dust. Nice. Yeah. Reznor produced songs for Jane's Addiction in November 2012. Reznor revealed on Reddit that he w- was would be working on with Queens of the Stone Age on a song for their sixth studio album, like Clockwork, an amazing 10 out of 10 banger album, and he did vocals on the title track of 2007's album Era Vulgaris with Josh Homme. Do you like Queens of the Stone Age? I do very much. I fucking love them. They uh, played 20 Monroe with uh, Royal Blood. Royal mm-hmm. Blood's amazing too. If you haven't checked them out, we'll be doing. I'll be doing an episode on them eventually. Cool. They're fucking two people. It dude sings and plays bass, and it sounds like a fucking hurricane. I'll listen like to it on my way home. Super distorted. Cool. It's good. Um, in January 2013, Reznor appeared in a documentary entitled Sound City with uh, Dave Grohl, Nirvana. They uh, worked on a song together called Mantra, along with Dave Grohl and Josh Hom. Reznor appeared in a live performance with Fleetwood Mac's Lindsey Buckingham. Dave Grohl and Queens of the Stone Age at the 2014 Grammy Awards ceremony. In an interview with New Zealand media outlet, Reznor explained his thought process, saying basically... I weighed the pros and cons. Do I want to be on a shit show on TV? No. Do I want to be affiliated with Grammys? No. Would I like to reach a large audience and do something with integrity on our terms? Yeah. Let's roll the dice and see and go in with best intentions. And That's how you fucking should do things in life. 
In 2021, it was revealed Reznor and regular collaborator Atticus Ross would be producing Hal C's fourth studio album, If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power. The album was released on August 27, 2021. Reznor and Ross recorded instrumentation and produced the album from a studio in Los Angeles. Wolf's Halsey sang at a studio in the Turks and Caicos Islands. Fucking rich. Man. The album received critical praise. He's also in How to Destroy Angels with His Wife, but that's not what this episode's about. As an independent artist, he followed the release of Year Zero. Reznor announced later that Nine Inch Nails had split from its contractual obligations with Interscope and would distribute its next major albums independently. In May 2008, Reznor founded the Null Corporation, and Nine Inch Nails released the studio album The Slip as a free digital download, which is the way to go if you want to get your music out there. You've already got the fan base. With internet, my theory is if you're going to make money, do it touring. You know what I mean? Merch sales. Yep. I like I said, you half your wardrobe was nine inch nails shirts. Yeah. I wore the shit out of my nine inch nails shirt. I had the belt. I also got called a poser once in eighth grade with that shirt on. And I said, bitch, I'll show you. I'll get every import and fucking remix album I can. Fuck find. you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> and fuck you. <laughs> anyway. He also did uh the soundtrack to Quake. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, 1996 video game. Uh, Reznor helped record sound effects and ambient audio, which I was reading about the album, uh, the EP Ad Violence. They had these weird abstract, like, fucking... Like, the, the guy interviewing them is like, is that a... What is that? And he's like, it's a... Uh, it uh, records reverb and delay through a modulated analog effect. It just makes one noise. It's like... <laughs> Can you imagine being that rich? Cost fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> I farted in it once. It blew my mind. Um, <laughs> Reznor's association with ID Software began with Reznor being a fan of the original Doom, which that's a whole episode to come to. And you mentioned something about Age of Empires. Yeah. Did you know? Do you have an Xbox? I do. They just came out with a console version of Age of Empires 2. Oh, yeah, they Spe- did. Speaking of... Oh, look at this old fucker. <laughs> well, there's a it's version so of Age of Empires 2 for so... consoles. Uh, I, I, I had to map it to my uh, keyboard, though. Um, he reunited with id Software in 2003 as the sound engineer for Doom 3. Though due to time, money, and bad management, he had to abandon the project, and his audio work did not make it into the game's final release. Oh, bummer. Nine Inch Nails 2007 major studio recording Year Zero was released alongside an accompanying alternate reality game with its lyrics written from the perspective of multiple fictitious characters. Reznor described Year Zero as a concept album criticizing the U.S. government's current policies and how they will affect the world 15 years in the future. In July 2012, it was announced that Reznor had composed and performed the theme music for Call of Duty Black Ops 2. Many a slur was said yeah. in multiplayer combat. Murder simulator. Fuck you, mom! <laughs> uh, film composition. So this was this is a big thing for me, and we'll get into this, and we'll take a break, and then get into the rest. But I was thinking about this too. David Fincher is probably maybe one of my favorite filmmakers of all time and his collaboration i mean it's so synonymous for me with that and even with with his first which would have been natural born killers when they play uh, something 
uh, something, something I could never have. have. In that, when they're like, out in the desert, yeah, you know, on it's such a good scene. It is too, and that's why, like, that's when, when they're on mushrooms. Yeah, his, like face gets all distorted, yeah. and that was when I fell in love with. Uh, it wasn't Cheers, it was that movie for Woody Harrelson and like True Detective season one is fucking, that's a whole episode too. Um, but that was like, I remember when I saw the movie Seven and hearing like the remix of Closer mm-hmm. in the credits and being like, this movie's from hell. <laughs> Little did I know that John Doe slash Kevin Spacey, the real fucking monster was in the movie. I love that movie. I don't care. 10 out of 10 movie. Um, Nine Inch Nails recorded an exclusive song, Burn, for the film using portable Pro Tools in his hotel room for Natural Bone Killers. The group also recorded a cover version of Joy Division's Dead Souls for the Crow soundtrack. That Crow soundtrack is fucking awesome. Fire. It's fire, front to back. I mean, you've got the Cure song, you've got a, like a Stone Temple Pilot song, you've got the Nine Inch Nails song. I mean, it's like front to back bangers. This is one I know you liked. Um, he tried to get Coil onto the soundtrack for. Uh, he, oh, I'm sorry. He produced the soundtrack for David Lynch's 1997 lo- film Lost Highway, which leads to um, the perfect drug for the soundtrack, which mm-hmm. is a fucking banger, too. I love the drums. The most expensive song. music video. Really? Yeah. It's At also- least for like a long time, it held that title. Because like he had to like pay for like the hand stuff yeah. like all of that. I love the absinthe in the video. I, I love the vid- that video, like the Edgar Allan Poe aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, the release spawned its release. Or, I'm sorry. The release spawned its release as a single. The music video for which was directed by Mark Romanek. Um, let's see. In 2001, Reznor was asked by Mark Romanek to provide the score for One Hour Photo. Robin Williams, yep. rest in peace. But the music did not work for the film and was not used. These compositions eventually evolved into Still, a remix of the Nine Inch Nails track You Know What You Are by Clint Mansell was used as part of the later latter's soundtrack to the 2000 film adaptation of Doom. In 2009, Trent Reznor composed the theme for Tetsuo for the Japanese cyberfuck, cyberpunk film Tetsuo the Bullet Man from Shinya Tsukamoto. Reznor collaborated with Ross to compose the score for David Fincher's The Social Network. I love the music in that movie. Like the p- creepy piano and the... That's a good movie to watch now with seeing how Facebook has become like the fucking hive mind. Yeah, wild. It's it's good and it's got like a great Andrew Garfield and like before he turned into like a cannibal... Uh, what's his name from Call Me By Your Name? The guy that plays the the twins who we're going to collaborate with. I can't remember his name. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to take a break uh, and we'll get into more of the soundtrack stuff. And then the long awaited Seth Lee, Ryan Herrig, top 10, nine inch Ooh. nails songs, and then top five ranked top five albums by nine inch nails. We'll be right back. Stay put and don't go hurt yourself. <laughs> Is there a downside, like just personally for your soul and for your craft? Because you just get so swamped in one, you know, you're in this amazing building, but... I think, I, and that's a good point that you bring up. Uh, take The Fragile, for example. I was kind of at a position, a point in my life, you know, and that record was all done right in this room, literally, for over two years. And 
in some ways, it's an interesting kind of um, journey. It's like I'm able to stop other parts of my life to really just see what happens if you go as far as you can go down a certain path. And that path might lead to somewhere else. And yes, nothing's holding me back from trying that. Um, the expense, the price you pay kind of is you become very unbalanced as a human being. And you also start to realize kind of in retrospect that maybe the reason you're doing that is because you're running away from the life you don't know how to live. There's all these things I thought, well, I'll get to that someday, like, you know, a family or real friends or, you know, learning other things, how to do things in life. Or, or dealing with this thing that you haven't dealt with. Yeah, that I've been running away by hiding in a studio. So I'm much more consciously aware of the thing, those things I do. get off the tour bus two and a half years later and, and in my head I'm thinking I'm going to return to being the real me but the real me isn't the real me anymore and maybe never was me and who am I now am I the guy that's on stage that I read about and my whole personality had been distorted and all kinds of external things had come into my world and people around me that weren't the right you know just weird weird you know, behind the music scenarios that you see happening to your own life. And there's a reason that everybody's career does the same thing, you know, that you're human. Is there the good and the evil? Is this stuff in you? Just a little light topic conversation here. <laughs> um, I've always been attracted to darker things, you know, that's, that's excited me, you know, from what, what, how far does things go, you know, if there's a snuff movie, I want to see it, you know what I mean? I'm not supporting it, but yeah, I guess I am, but I, I am curious, you know, I want to, Whatever that, what's the farthest levels I'm going to go, you know? I mean, this wasn't the only building for sale. No, but I'll say this. I mean, there's a couple things you can nail me on. This is a funeral, was a funeral home. I lived in Sharon Tate's house. You know, and those things, I can say this, you don't need to believe me, but the Sharon Tate thing, for example, they didn't tell us it was that house. I wasn't thinking of, well, I wonder if they're going to take me to the Sharon Tate house. I didn't even cross my mind. Um, it was the coolest house we saw, and later that night I discovered it was that house, which made it even kind of cooler, not that I support um, Manson, who I think is an asshole. Charles, that is. It's a piece of American dark, hey, that's the end of the 60s, you know, that was the end of an era, that whole kind of event, and it was interesting to just be around it. That's right. We're back. It's the first day of our last day. <laughs> Build it up and I'll take it apart. Damn, you're good. He remembers at night fucking 
have listened to this a million times. All right, continuing on our Trent Reznor trail. So on January 7th, 2011, Reznor announced that he would begin working with Fincher, this time to provide the score for the American adaptation of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, a cover of Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin, produced by Reznor and Ross, with Karen O of the Yeah as the feature singer, accompanied a trailer for the film. Reznor and Ross' second collaboration with Fincher was scored as the film was shot, based on the concept... Quote, what if we give you music the minute you start to edit stuff together? Reznor explained in 2014 that the composition process was a lot more work and that he would be hesitant to go as far in that direction in the future. Reznor and Ross again collaborated to the score of Fincher's film Gone Girl. Fincher was inspired by music he heard while at an appointment with a chiropractor and tasked Reznor with creating the musical equivalent of an insincere facade. Reznor explained Fincher's request in an interview. David Fincher was at the chiropractor and heard this music that was inauthentically trying to make him feel okay, and that became a perfect metaphor for this film. That's a good movie. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for Fincher's movies. The challenge was simply, what is the musical equivalent of the same sort of facade of comfort and a feeling of insincerity that the music represented? My primary aim was to instill doubt and remind you that things aren't always what they seem to be. Um, Richard Butler of the Psychedelic First sang a cover version of the song She, which was used in the film's teaser trailer. The soundtrack album was released on the Columbia label on G- September 30th, 2014. Year September, too. What, what day is in September? 9-9. 9-9, that's right. Two days before the world would remember. I know. What a sh- <laughs> shit. Two days. Come on, hold out, Mom. Man. Stick me back in. I'm not done. <laughs> not moving out. <laughs> During Reznor and Ross's keynote session at the 2014 Billboard and Hollywood Reporter Film and TV Music Conference held on November 5th, Reznor said that he is open to working with other filmmakers besides Fincher. The only director he had worked with as a composer up until that point. Quote, I'm open to any possibility. Scoring for film kind of came up unexpectedly. It was always something I'd been interested in, and it was really a great experience. I've learned a lot. I'd love to do that. Work on a short film or a movie or even a video game. In December 2014, it was announced that Reznor would collaborate with composer Mike Patton, best known as the frontman of alternative metal band Faith No More, on The Girl Who Played With Fire by Fincher, the sequel to 2011's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. However, after the release of the 2015 book The Girl in the Spider's Web, a part of the series from which the films are based, Sony decided to reboot the franchise and canceled this production. Reznor and Ross have gone on to score films by a number of other directors, starting in 2016 with Fisher Stevens' climate change documentary, Before the Flood, whose score included compositions by Gustavo Santalala and Mogwai. Ooh. I saw Mogwai in Greece. Cool. It was fucking ear-splitting loud. The only show that was louder was Slipknot at the Obert Room. I watched Jason Branch get picked up by... A fucking elf woman and like bodied against nice <laughs> oh he was like don't ever judge me 
I'm made of wires, Sobe, and farts. Oh. <laughs> I tried messaging him once. Anyway, other side story. Uh, crime drama. Okay, so he did uh, Peter Berg's Patriots Day, a crime drama about the Boston Marathon bombings. The following year, they made their television debut with the score for Ken Burns and Lynn Novick's documentary series, The Vietnam War. Ooh. In 2018, Reznor and Ross scored Susan Beer's film Bird Box and Jonah Hill's directorial debut, Mid-90s. I haven't seen that movie. It looks good, though. I heard good things. In 2019, Reznor and Ross composed the score for the independent drama Waves, and later that year made their second contribution to television with their score for Damon Lindelof's HBO miniseries Watchmen. That was awesome. A sequel to Alan Moore's original 1987 comic series. Reznor and Ross, both fans of the comic, approached Lindelof to work on the series and released three volumes of music from the series over the course of its broadcast. Most recently, Reznor and Ross reunited with Fincher to score the Netflix drama film Mank, and scored the 2020 animated Pixar film Soul. Wow. Yeah. Good for him. So he's he did... Uh, did you know he worked with Beats Music? I think I remember hearing that. In January of 2013, Reznor and Top Spin Media founder Ian Rogers were chosen to head Beats Electronics' new music subscription service, dubbed Project Daisy. Described by Beats co-founder Jimmy Iovine, Levine as having hardware brand distribution partnerships and artist relations to differentiate Daisy from the competition. There was some speculation as to what Reznor's role would be within the company, but he was later named chief creative officer. He promised that he and the other members would strive to create a music subscription service that will be like, quote, having your own guy when you go to the record store who knows what you like but can also point you down some paths you wouldn't necessarily encounter. Well, it sounds fucking rad. The service was officially launched in the U.S. on January 21st, 2014. Reznor has continued on in a similar role under Beat's new ownership at Apple, where he has been involved in the launch of Apple Music. Wow. Do you use Apple or Spotify? I use YouTube. Used to, yeah. I'm kind of the... I use Spotify and YouTube. I pay, for this, I pay for the subscription. Oh, YouTube, I do too. So yeah. I fucking love it. YouTube music, so yeah. It's it's, it's so higher good. quality and it's fucking like um, the amount of docs, like documentaries, all the info I got other than the Wikipedia, which I'm following, all of it was from YouTube docs. Cool. Yeah. Um, which as soon as I turned 35, it became a history nerd. So all I do is fucking... Like research re- revolutionary wars and fucking the history of napoleon it's like that's what gets me aroused now that's sweet it gives me a gub hey man uh do, 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 do. he's got some criticism from universal music group um about the pricing and distribution of year zero like they didn't, oh. you can't make it free you're not radiohead well you're kind of on the same level if not more popular um, while on tour in Prague in 2009, Reznor realized the importance of the marketing aspect of a major label when he saw a lot of promotion for Radiohead's then-upcoming tour, but little promotion for his current Nine Inch Nails tour or any of its recently released albums. At a 2012 panel discussion with David Byrne and Josh Kuhn, um, 
David Byrne from Talking Heads. He stated that the marketing from a major label outweighed the aspects of being independent that he liked, namely the ability to release albums whenever he wanted to avoid leaking and to take a larger cut of the profits from record sales. Reznor's first album released through a major label after his return was How to Destroy Angels, an Omen EP, released in November 2012 through Columbia Records. I'm working with Columbia for the release of the EP. Reznor said that so far it's been pleasantly pleasant. So Reznor's influences, uh, Reznor possesses a baritone vocal range. In his first years, Reznor was primarily influenced by punk rock, specifically uh, English band The Clash. He later said, I fucked around with some bad music. I was trying to sound like other bands. I thought The Clash were so cool. I was trying to be cool too. Important political statements, no one's going to make fun of me for them, but the journal entries of a horny sad guy who wouldn't fit in. Uh, the words I was writing in my journal to keep myself from going ca- crazy were the real lyrics I needed. Another early influence was English musician Gary Newman, with Reznor once saying that he knew he wanted to make musical synthesizers after hearing Newman's song Cars. This was exemplified later on the song only in 2005, whose disco-style beats and synthesizers draw from Newman's style. Reznor mentioned that college radio introduced him to acts such as English gothic rock band Bauhaus, whose lead singer Peter Murphy is cited by Reznor as one of his idols, as well as the English band Joy Division, which he did a cover of, on the Crow soundtrack, and Throbbing Gristle, who in the 70s were like basically like the first industrial band. Reznor also stated that he viewed the first Nine Inch Nails song he ever wrote down in it as a total ripoff of the 1980s song Dig It by Canadian band Skinny Puppy, which there's a crazy story about that down in it video. Yeah. Um, The video of it is him being murdered by his band members. And the footage, there was like aerial footage. The tape got lost. Right, it flew away. Yeah, it flew away and landed in some Michigan farmer's fucking Yeah, they backyard. thought it was a snuff film. They thought it was a snuff Insane. film. Insane. <laughs> Imagine finding that. And then got contacted by like state law enforcement or the FBI or some shit. And it's like, are you alive? And he's like, I'm going to write a song I wish I wasn't. <laughs> I wish I wasn't. <laughs> Uh, let me write a bunch of songs about death. <laughs> um, so, Reznor's work was described by People Magazine in 1995 as, quote, self-loathing, sexual obsession, torture, and suicide over a thick sludge of gnashing guitars and computer-synthesized beats. The magazine also said that Reznor, like Alice Cooper and Ozzy Osbourne before him, has built his name on theatrics and nihilism. Nine Inch Nails concerts were often picketed by fundamentalist Christians. Were there any at the Van Andel show? Do you remember that? I, I, I would say probably. I probably just high-fived my dad and walked in. Yeah, I bet I bet they probably were there. My dad actually kind of liked Nine Inch Nails. And it sounded like your dad did, too, since he you know, gave you the CD. Um, I, I took it. There you go. Yeah. That's my son. He didn't know what he had. Uh, so his 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 legacy. Reznor's work as Nine Inch Nails has influenced many new artists, which, according to Reznor's, range from generic imitations dating from the band's initial success to younger bands echoing his style in a truer, less 
an imitative way following the release of Downward Spiral, mainstream artists began to take notice of the Nine Inch Nails' influence. David Bowie compared Nin's impact to that of the Velvet Underground. Future episode, love the Velvet Underground. Um, I would say I was a pretty big fan of bands that imitated Nine Inch Nails, namely a, a one stabbing Westward. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, to their credit, I'll say... The singer of that band has a great voice. Um, I just definitely got the impersonation that they were also trying to be that nihilistic. Just, yeah, yeah just like, God is dead and no one's caring of it. It's different, right? Um, Reznor appeared in Time Magazine's list of the year's most influential pe- people, and Spin Magazine described him as the most vital artist in music. Bob Ezrin, producer for Pink Floyd, Kiss, Alice Cooper, and Peter Gabriel, described Reznor in 2007 as a true visionary and advised aspiring artists to take note of his no-compromise attitude. During an appearance at the Kerrang! Awards in London that year, Reznor accepted the Kerrang! icon honoring Nine Inch Nails' longstanding influence on rock music. Guns N' Roses frontman Axl Rose, an early supporter of Nine Inch Nails, which I think, did we, was that in the last segment? Yeah. Or, okay, I mentioned that they threw sausages at them. Right. In Germany. In Germany. When they toured together. Right. They just didn't, they wanted, what was it, Unterslaschen? Wunderslausch. <laughs> but hey, they got hit by sausage, and those sausages were probably good. Pretty good. So, um, Guns N' Roses frontman Axl Rose was the supporter, was heavily influenced by Reznor in the writing and composition of the band's Chinese Democracy album, which uh, people like. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chinese Democracy is not a thing, all right? We all know it's communism. <laughs> Some of the best communism. Some of the best fucking communism ever. We don't say anything bad about China. No! We bow to our Chinese overlords. Thank you for allowing us to podcast. Thank you, (laughs) Pries. We rough you very much. Steve Wilson of progressive rock band Porcupine Tree has stated that he is influenced by and much admires Reznor's production work, in particular The Fragile. And in 2008, said that Reznor is the only one he'd let near his music. Indonesian singer Engun said that Reznor was the man of my musical life and that The Fragile was the album that changed my life. Writing for Revolver magazine on the 25th anniversary of Broken EP, musician Greg Pusciato, who is from the Dillinger Escape Plan, stated that one of the few vivid musical memories of his teenage years was listening to that EE at the age of 12 front to back in the first digipack he had seen. Later, after discovering the story behind its release, it became a giant influence on him, particularly, particularly when it comes to his own artistic path or output. Timbaland, the uh, producer, has cited Reznor as his favorite studio producer, drummer Chris Penny of the Dillinger Escape Plan said the fragile changed his compositional mindset from drums to production as he was blown away by its dense yet elegant mix and vocal ideas. He called it one of his two favorite albums of all time. Wow. He's won Oscars too with his uh, soundtrack work. I believe it. Which is fucking insane. Um... 
he won one. He won a Golden Globe for Best Original Score and Academy Award for Best Original Score for the work on Social Network, which is deserved. Uh, they were nominated for the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. He won a 2013 Grammy Award for Best Original Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media. Um, Reznor, who was contentious with the Grammys, tweeted, "Why thanks y'all about the Grammy." didn't show up. Ross and Reznor's Gone Girl score was nominated for Best Original Score. Reznor and Ross won the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Music Composition for a Limited Series and was nominated for Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics for the work on the series Watchmen. In 2021, they won their second Golden Globe Award for Best Original Score. Shared with John Baptiste, or John Batiste, and the second... Academy Award for Best Original Score, both for the Pixar film Soul, which he never had one, so it was hard. Ah, Soul. All right, man, here we go. This is it. It's time. It is time. All right. Let's do it. All right, so we want to do our, our personal top ten in songs. no order, right? In no order. Okay. Top ten songs, and I'll tell you if 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 they're mine as well. Okay. Um, let me just pull up your the, list. My list. Yes. This is fun, man. I I'd love to have you on again. Anytime. Um, I'm pretty pretty open. Pretty open. He's open, folks. All right, go ahead. You, you, we'll, we'll, you go. All right. This is in no then, order. Okay. And I'll do my, and we'll see. Happiness in slavery. Okay. Off the Bernie EP. Um, yeah. Are you going? Or? Yeah, I'll okay. go. Uh, less than off the Ad Violence EP from 2017. Uh, the day the whole world went away. That's from one the of fragile. mine. Yep. Yep. That's one of mine. Uh, the Perfect Drug from the Lost Highway soundtrack. I also have that okay. on my list. Nice. Um, Every Day is Exactly the Same. That's off uh, With Teeth. Yes. Yep. I have a one off With Teeth, Sunspots. Oh, nice. That's That has the best... Fu- I might end the episode with it. It has the best fucking riff. Um, I have Hurt. I don't have that. I have Eraser Ooh, off that album. Okay. I also I put closer on mine because okay. it's the song that got me into them. Dude, I get it. That's yeah. a great fucking yeah. song. Uh, I have Wish. Nice. Off Broken EP. I have March of the Pigs. I have that too. Nice. It's such a good it song. It is good. Well, it that was specifically and I I had I said less than off the Ad Violence. I think when he does like heavy rock yeah, which it's it's a little less frequent in the newer stuff. I still love it, but like when he does it, he does it so fucking good. Is that all yours? No, I still have one, okay, two, three. Okay, uh, pig or piggy? Nope. Yeah, pig. piggy. That's okay. the one. Yeah, yep, sorry. Off. Okay, no, you're good. Uh, Great Destroyer. Is that which one is that off of? Uh, I think Year Zero. Okay, right on, right on. I have uh, something I can never have off Pretty Hate Machines. Because <laughs> I just remember just we made that music. We had like a dance. To scare <laughs> that was the hardest we laughed we doing had our, our own dance. Uh, and then this one, kind of obscure-ish, uh, a warm place off of which is 
downward spiral. Yeah, the instrumental one. That's kind of like an introduction to his like instrumental stuff yeah. early on, yeah, it was which really, was really cool. Yeah. And it's like the one refrain in the album before it's like, all right, now I'm going to kill myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have the Dead Souls, the Joy Division cover off the Crow soundtrack, and we're in this together off of the Fragile. Uh, it's a yep. fucking romantic song. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I love, I love, 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 love um, uh, that soundtrack. Like I meant, I mean, that's almost like an episode of like banger soundtracks. Yeah. The line. Um, all right. So top five. I'm just gonna let you go, okay. and then I'll go after you. Your top five albums by Nine Inch Nails. Uh, Downward Spiral. Okay. The Fragile. Okay. Broken mm-hmm. with teeth, mm-hmm. year zero. Okay, so was that number one to number five? Yeah. Okay, no. so I'm going to go number five, Add Violence. Or, no, no, no. Number five, Broken EP. Number four, Add Violence EP. It's like, when he got sober and he came back, that EP specifically is awesome. And, and he says, like... Going back to New Orleans, which is where his like heaviest addiction period was, doing that album put him so close to the edge. But like, it's kind of like his reminder not to go back, and I love that. Number three is the fragile. Number two with teeth, and number one the downwards. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I. It's hard because I, I want to tout say, and say, like, yeah, with teeth, is it was a triumphant return, but Downward Spiral is just too good. It's kind of like when you go with The Doors, you're like, there's other great Doors albums other than the first one, but then you're like, but that's my favorite. Right. That's the one with the end. And, and, Riders and Light on My it. Fire and whatever. Um, awesome. Very this cool. has been your Trent Reznor nine inch nails episode ladies and gentlemen boys and girls thank you for listening seth do you have anything you want to plug or mention or man just glad to be here let's do this again we're gonna do it again we're gonna go out with a nine inch nails song but before that check out the links in the description of the episode seth will be on another future episode i promise you we haven't figured out what we're gonna talk about but it's gonna be cool it will and and it's going to be pro Hillary and center left, and our politics will align with everything that you need. <laughs> we won't we won't offend anyone. Five stars will shout you out on the podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Zanzizi Podcast. If you want to suggest an episode, Zanzizi Podcast at gmail.com and we will add it to the dossier. That's been your episode. We'll see you next week. Seth, it was great to have you, sir. Thanks for having me. I haven't met <laughs> He's drunk. He's <laughs> fucked up. I know it.
This has been a presentation of Beer City Media.